Welcome back to Mark. Some of you are just engaging the journey for the first time. And there's a number of messages online as we began a year ago, as we really entered into field church and to what we wanted to experience in God, walking with him daily, one day at a time, one step at a time. And so much of the discipleship of Jesus to his disciples happens in, in the margins, in between the lines. When we saw that, we see that again and again, when it says they, they journeyed up to Capernaum, or in this case, they went, went across to the other side of the lake. These were long, extended times, extended journeys, sometimes multiple days just passed in one line of the text. They went up or they went down or they went over. And those times on the roads, we just have to imagine with, with Jesus, walking, taking time, following him, listening, asking questions, probably laughing and joking, and, and all, the, all the interesting accounts that must have happened at night when they slept together, when they found a place to stay, or when they split up to, in order to do that, when some went to get food, and all in all, that discipleship is what really grew them. But it was a process. It was progressive. And so we too, on that same journey, following Jesus, wanting to walk with him daily, experiencing him in new ways, grow deeper in him that we would bear fruit for him. These two accounts, uh, we've, we've touched on the, the first one coming out of the last story. If you can remember that far back, the, the multiplication again of another meal, the, meal, the abundant nature of, of God to give superfluously, to always provide, to do so in, in a powerful, tangible way. The encounter that he had with the Pharisees and now the disciples asking him about that, prompted by his own question of them to see what, where their heart was really at. These seem like unconnected events now from this, this one coming on the heels of that and the subsequent boat ride and, and then the hard break of now we're on the other side, we're in a new region and here's a new encounter, a man who was blind brought to Jesus and Jesus heals him. Those seem disconnected, but I want, us, I want us to see that they're actually tightly connected in what Mark is trying to accomplish here. That this healing of this blind man becomes a physical tangible metaphor for what is happening across the storyline for the disciples and really for us as we enter into the story as well. It's like a living parable uh, that is before us, and it has been called a hinge event even right here of the entire story. One commentator I read described it that way, that we're moving from our eyes and our, our, our heart set to Jesus' earthly ministry to the cross. He's turning us in these next couple chapters. In the next chapter and a half, Jesus will say to his disciples three times uh, the prediction of the cross coming of his suffering, of his death, and then his subsequent resurrection. So our, our, we're, we're, our, we're shifting here. We're turning in the story. And this links together uh, really a major theme that Mark is trying to teach us. And we've seen this before. Mark writes thematically much more than chronologically. Although the healing of this blind man could have, it seems likely, uh, that it happened somewhat close to, in, in, a, in account to the feeding of the 4,000, but it's, it's not necessary that it's a tight chronological fit, fit that, that Mark was writing to emphasize something bigger, which is why this healing account seems so unique, in fact, outright bizarre in the way it's described compared to any others. Mark took this one and puts it before us to, to teach a broader theme. Do you start, are you starting to, to see? Isn't that the big question? Are you starting to see? Are you beginning to see the kingdom? 
See, the, the disciples were struggling to understand and walk in the kingdom. Every time we'll see this in the next few chapters when Jesus says, uh, gives a foretaste of the coming cross and his resurrection, they will reject it, dismiss it, deny it. Even Peter will rebuke him for that. Never, Lord, he says, because they are struggling to see rightly the fullness of the kingdom and what Jesus is revealing to them, though they've experienced so much already, and we tend to read and shake our heads, how could they be so slow? How could their faith be so dull? How long is it possibly going to take? They, the, the, the walking in the kingdom of God is difficult. It's not natural to us. That's why we've titled this the upside-down kingdom. The way we see in our world, the, the, the way earthly kingdoms work to us is natural. The kingdom of God is power, but it's through weakness. The kingdom of God rules through service and through sacrifice. That's how Jesus has victory. The kingdom of God is most concerned with the weak, the oppressed, the marginalized, the, le- the last and the least. That's who Jesus has come for. Those who know they are sick and in need. That's who Jesus has come for. This is the upside down kingdom and it's difficult for our earthly eyes to see it as if we are blind. We need to have our eyes opened more and more fully. We can miss the kingdom for any number of reasons. And really at the heart of it is that we don't want it. We don't want to walk in this kingdom. We want an earthly kingdom. And we want God, maybe we do want God to rule it, but we want it to to rule in greater force than any earthly kingdom. That's the one we want. One that would elevate us too to a, a partnership with God in power, in dominance, and in force. This is what the Pharisees wanted was for their Messiah to come and along with them to overcome their greatest enemy, the Romans now or any other political force or oppression that they could live in freedom and worship God wholly. But they saw through earthly kingdom eyes, one of force and domination. We can miss the kingdom because simply it demands too much of us. We're willing to give and to sacrifice to a point, but what Jesus seems to be asking of his followers is far greater than we're willing to, to give. And this is what the disciples continue to wrestle with. We can also simply miss it because we're distracted and consumed by so many other things which we think are primary, but in the end, in God's kingdom, are simply trivial. So many that Jesus encountered struggled with this, struggled to see the kingdom simply because the concerns and the worries of life were so great. And this may describe us. We could probably find ourselves in a little, a little bit in each one of those responses of how we can miss the kingdom and not see clearly. We can be so distracted by the trivial, and maybe that's a comfort or defense mechanism that we have to simply be consumed. And we can come, even come to a passage like this one and be distracted and consumed by other things. For example, maybe you, you hear this, you read this, and because it's such a unique or bizarre healing account, you, you have the questions that are natural to have. What about the spit? How, how, how is this necessary for healing? Why in this account does it take, uh, take two times, two tries? Is it, is it Jesus and his power at this moment and his authority to heal, or is it the man's faith? Why, why was it progressive? Who ever heard of walking trees anyway? 
maybe other than J.R.R. Tolkien. And how is it that this man knows what trees look like if he's been blind? Maybe was he blinded later in life? And see how quickly we can digress into the trivial details and miss the whole point. I think Mark is showing us this, that we wouldn't miss the main theme. And it's ironic because we so often do, and so do his disciples, which gives us an access point to the story. It allows us to walk into it. The big picture is we as disciples struggle to perceive the kingdom of God and to understand it, to see it rightly. And it's often incremental in the ways our eyes are opened to it. It's progressive in nature. We see the disciples so often just thinking on an earthly plane. Jesus is often wanting to press into a deeper spiritual reality, and they're just on the surface level. We can relate to that. So when he asks them, or when he says to them, beware of the the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, they're turning to each other and saying, we didn't bring bread. There's something about, we already know these men are dangerous, but there's something about the bread or the yeast that they have, so we should be on guard. Where are we going to get this bread? That's what they're talking about, total earthly plane. And Jesus says, do you still not see? Do you still not perceive? I'm not talking about bread. He's talking about maybe, maybe hand in hand, because often he does layer the earthly concerns with the spiritual, but he's pressing deeper. Be concerned because the the philosophies and ideologies that these men in power profess is attractive. It's natural to receive it. If you receive it, it's going to be like yeast that works through a little bit through the entire dough and influences all things. Be on guard against that. They're, They're seeding these doubts in me and in the kingdom. Be on guard against that. Jesus is always pressing to a deeper spiritual reality. Do you still not see? Do you still not understand? You have eyes but fail to see, which sets us up for the very next living parable. The man that is blind that comes, that is healed completely, sees clearly, but it's progressive. Jesus puts that on on display. What a metaphor for the way that we would walk into the kingdom. The disciples really are like this blind man. It's a picture of them. Jesus, in his his spit, and I'll get to that, I have a a thought, but there's something very, very intimate about that, something close. Uh, If you've ever been in that kind of a close conversation in the last 18 months, probably not, with the the mask, and you've either been spit upon or accidentally spit upon another in in conversation. There's something, it's awkward because it's so intimate. The disciples have been more intimately connected with Jesus than any other. They've seen so much. They've been with him relentless. This is coming, coming to the end of his three-year earthly ministry. Imagine the amount of time and closeness. No, no one knew him better than they should have, had seen more, experienced more, even given his authority to go out in ministry and to do amazing things. And they're still struggling to comprehend. They're just beginning to see. Their vision is blurry. They're struggling to walk in and receive the kingdom. And the subsequent passage that we didn't have read that we'll look at maybe next time is very, very famous declaration by Peter when, when Jesus says, who, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. He gets it right. He's affirmed. And in the next moment, when Jesus says, and this is what's coming, be prepared, because this is what the Christ must do. 
as he gives himself upon the cross. I'll, I'll, I'll suffer on the cross, but I will rise again. He gives them the hope. Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. Never, Lord. So, so you see this example. Now we have this living parable of this blind man representing the faith of the disciples, those that should have been closest, that should have been, had been touched by Jesus, so to speak. And they're getting it. They're getting it. They're beginning to see. And then in the next moment, they're just missing it completely. Their blind spots are revealed. This should give us hope as we enter into the story. We can enter into it in, in two ways, through the blind man and through the disciples, and maybe, maybe both, if we're humble, because it's not, it's not easy to reflect on ourselves rightly, uh, but this will give us clarity in the kingdom, I believe. I think we should, every one of us could relate to the blind man regarding matters of faith, seeing God's kingdom, walking in it. We've all been blind to the reality of it, the extent of it, the way it shows up in every aspect and place of our life. We always have blind spots that are revealed, and we can't see those without others in community. We need that. But as we've come to Jesus, if, if we've been drawing near to Jesus and been touched by him, we've received spiritual healing. Some of your story is physical healing as well, maybe unique and surprising kind of ways like this. The man didn't expect Jesus to spit on his eyes. He was hopeful for some healing touch, but the way it came about was not his expectation. We could say, like this blind man, I see or I'm beginning to see, but it's, it's fuzzy. It's blurry. Maybe that's, what, uh, that's the right declaration for us where we're at in spirit, spiritual life right now. In fact, we'd probably be hesitant, we should be hesitant of ever saying, I see clearly, I see fully, I understand fully the kingdom of God. We are always coming to see. The blind man, the, could, be a, could be a similar account in John 9, the blind man that said, I don't know much, humble humility, but what I do know, I was blind, but now I see because I met Jesus. Those can become some of our declarations some of you have experienced not just the healing touch of Jesus spiritually, emotionally, but physically too in surprising, unique ways. I know some of your, your story. You've drawn near to Jesus, and so we can pray again today, God, we need your healing touch in all ways. First, spiritually. That's what the emphasis of the Gospels is. Jesus has come to heal and deliver spiritually first. Think of the, the paralytic who needed and wanted physical healing, and received it. But first, Jesus said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Because primary in the kingdom is, is our spiritual health, is our eternal health. But Jesus continues to heal completely everyone who comes to him. So those of you that are still struggling under pain or hurt or illness or sickness, external or internal, and have come to Jesus, continue to come. It's, it's been a while since we've really had a healing service. This is an invitation, as we do believe, in the ongoing healing power of God through the Spirit. And so if you, have, if you need to renew that prayer or have never been prayed over by others and anointed with oil, I invite you to come today as the service concludes. I'll linger and just come. We'll gather a few others or a few elders and pray with you over you, believing in that healing touch, believing that that is God's desire to heal completely and fully. Sometimes it's progressively. And some of you, I know your story is, it's not complete, it's not sufficient. But is it? 
When, when Jesus says, this is my healing for you, like he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In God's perspective, we can rightly come expecting healing and being surprised when he doesn't heal fully, completely, physically, yet with understanding that any physical healing touch we would receive today from him is merely temporary and incomplete. These bodies must die that we might live. I hope that's not news to you, that our bodies are decaying and dying progressively. Sometimes God heals in fullness, that's some of your story, but many times it is sufficient grace, sufficiently reminding us of limitation in this life, increasing our trust and our hope in him. But God's purpose is we ultimately leave to him. When God sees us completely healed, that's his perspective. That's his vision. It is done. It is accomplished upon the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. All is finished. Redemption and reconciliation of all things is done. That's how God sees us eternally, eternally whole. It's his desire. So we should never stop praying for that complete healing. While holding, this will be temporary. No matter how many years or decades the healing might last, this will be temporary. And through it all I worship, whatever I receive, Lord. So come, if that is you. We promise we won't spit on you, but we will anoint with oil. Okay, what about the spit? Just excursus. Commentators are split on the spit, as you can imagine, because the scripture does not teach us this. There's some evidence, and some commentators are convinced that saliva had a healing property, or there was a belief that saliva had a healing nature and property at this, at this time. But I think the extent of that is about as good as your mom spitting on her thumb and rubbing off your grubby little face. I think that's about the extent of that healing nature. And as I mentioned, last time we saw spit, which is quite a long time ago for us, but only about a chapter back in chapter 7, Jesus spit and healed a, a, a deaf man. It didn't say he spit into his ears or on his hands, but now we wonder, because he did spit in some way upon this man's eyes, what is going on? Likely for the Jews, there's more evidence here that the Jews believed saliva actually defiled, was an unclean substance to receive upon a person. And you would have to ceremonially clean or cleanse yourself if you were spit upon by another And we see forward in our minds when they derided Jesus as mockery, they spit upon him. It was to defile. So why would Jesus use spit if that if that's if the nature of that is either defilement or or unholy from perspective? I think if anything, Jesus is is imaging his fully divine character. Nothing can defile him. Everything he touches and everything about him is holy and heals and makes what he touches holy. So that when he touches a leper, he is not defiled like the Pharisees would have thought. He extends healing and wholeness and wellness to the leper. When he touches the woman with the discharge of blood or she touches him, he is not defiled, she is healed. When he touches a dead body, all all things that the Pharisees, the religious elite, would have stayed away from because that would defile them and keep them from coming into worship in the temple. Jesus extends. He does the very opposite. That's the nature of the kingdom. Even in spit, and if you question it, look at the results. The results are full wellness and healing and holiness. That seems to be, but I present that with open hands. Not everyone is convinced. Back to the big picture, because if we get stuck there, we miss 
the progressive nature of coming into the kingdom and being ultimately fully healed, to see rightly, to see clearly. Jesus does completely heal him in this next moment. Why did it take the two? Well, sometimes, sometimes healing does take two shots. But in this case, coming to Jesus, walking in his kingdom is a progressive vision. Ultimately, we will see in full, but presently we see in part. Our sight is blurry. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in the famous 1 Corinthians 13, which we know is a love, the love passage, the love chapter in the middle of the receiving the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe we miss this line in verse 12. Now, today, now, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. This is our spiritual eyes. We see poorly. We see dimly. But then, one day, we shall see face to face, fully, clearly. Now, today, I know in part, this is Paul, who, who teaches so much of our understanding of theology and Christology in, in the scriptures. If anyone was supposed to have, have the answers, it was Paul. And he says, I see just in part. But then I shall know fully, just as I am fully known. There's a hope in that eternal vision that's coming, that is progressive in nature. It may require heaven for us to see that. We can enter the story through this blind man. We can also enter it through the disciples who are still progressively coming to see, who are still struggling. We can certainly enter into the story with their limited faith. After all they've experienced and seen and known in Jesus, they still need to grow and see more clearly. Jesus speaks of kingdom realities while their minds remain on earthly things. When he speaks of his death and resurrection, they continue to struggle, refuse it, or even rebuke him. They cannot seem to receive and grasp that Jesus will win and have victory and conquer all of the greatest enemies, which are not political enemies or political forces, but evil sin and death. He will do so by yielding by losing in the eyes of the world, by sacrifice. And so the kingdom continues to be upside down for the disciples and struggle when we struggle in the same way. If you are just beginning to walk into the kingdom, to pursue Jesus, be encouraged, be hopeful. It's a thrilling journey and adventure. Jesus will surprise you. Let him surprise you. He is God after all. Never give up growing and learning and being amazed at his kingdom. Never start the journey believing it will ever end. It's, it's the journey as much as the destination that is a part of our growth and walking with God in the presence of him. The destination is not just leaving earth to get to heaven. This is so vital. I think we've, we've, we've really taught this poorly across the last couple centuries in the church. God is about renewing all things not destroying this earth. We're not trying to escape here. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray this way. Believe it. This is what God wants to do. This is what Jesus came to image for us. There's a progressive journey, always growing, always learning, always walking with him in greater fullness to see rightly, to see clearly. God, open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our heart to your kingdom that we can see. Have a humble posture. This is what it means to grow up in, in like a greenhouse, 
new shoots, new life, deep roots abiding in Christ for the fruitfulness that he wants to bear in our life. And for those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time, be humble enough today to admit where you still do not see. Praying for greater vision, knowing that's God's desire, but in his timing alone, it's, it is his grace and his goodness to not show us all things. If we have fully the picture, if we fully know, if we have everything mapped out, how dependent are we upon God? Amen. Why will we continue to pray or be on our knees or seek his presence if we know what's coming every step of the way and we just need strength to do it? We may call upon him for that bit of strength, but we don't pray desperately. Not if we know. It's when we don't know. It's when we see in part. It's when it's fuzzy in the kingdom that we are desperately saying, more clarity, God. Please help, Lord. I need you. And he says, just enough. Just enough. I want you to see it all. I want you to know fully, but I know your hearts. So trust me. Walk with me. The Apostle Paul knew this. We've already touched on that in Corinthians. But in Ephesians chapter 1, this famous prayer for the church in Ephesus, the broader church, which we can receive today. We walked through Ephesians a couple years ago, and we received these prayers because it is Paul's heart for all church, the, the gathering of God's people. This is how he begins uh, this letter. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you all, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation vision, that you would know him better, right? Not that you would know what to do and have the plans, that you would know him better. All things flow from that for Paul. I pray also that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would see, right? You would see clearly in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The eyes of our heart, spiritual eyes to see, to perceive his kingdom, to see the upside down kingdom. According to Paul, what that means is hope. What that means is purpose to your calling, right? to what you are about. What that means for Paul is eternal abundance. What it means is power in the kingdom, in the way of the kingdom. He'll go on. The same power that is at work to raise Christ from the dead is in us, in the spirit. Wow, we fall short of engaging that power and that spirit in the ways of the kingdom. Probably, probably because we want that power to work in the ways of the world and God will just not give it. That power will be delivered through weakness, through sacrifice, through yielding, through giving, that we become less, that he becomes more. And then when we have that posture, we will start to receive that power of the kingdom let us be humble enough today as we draw near to Jesus, as we seek his spiritual touch again to receive only what he wants for us. Let us be humble enough to also receive rebuke where we have not been seen rightly and should have been, where we have been distracted or consumed by other things, by trivial things, and not the things of his kingdom. Let us be rebuked where we have wanted his kingdom power in our way to do our things. 
Let us receive that rebuke where we, like the disciples, should have already seen rightly by now the work that he has called us to do, the purpose that he has called us for. Be humble enough to admit that we are progressing in the kingdom. Yield our frustration and our discouragement about it being so slow and incremental, our maturity, our growth, our health, and receive again the journey of being with him in the moment, of walking with him daily. Teach us to trust, Lord. Let us be humble enough to receive that the healing we might receive today is temporary but sufficient. The vision he may give us for the work he's called us to may be blurry and fuzzy, and that's enough, Lord. By your grace and mercy, we know your character. You are not playing games with us, God. You are drawing our hearts to dependence upon you. We humble ourselves and yield again. And with one final question, let's receive that question he said to the blind man after the first time he spit on his eyes. Do you see anything? Is he asking us that right now? Having drawn near, being touched by him, as we, as we come near to him, he comes near to us. He does not withhold his grace for those that seek him. We seek him again today. And is he asking that collectively? We can receive it individually. We can take it corporately. Do you see anything? What does the man say? I see, I see men, but they look like trees. This vision is fuzzy. God, do we see with your eyes? Do we see the people that are in our midst? Or are we so consumed by other things that they're inanimate objects to us? They're just like trees, maybe walking around, maybe getting in our way. That's not the vision that God has for us. He wants us to see people the way he sees them. Do we see? Do we see those that he sees? Because as we draw near and receive his healing touch, I pray physically, but first spiritually, to know him more, to walk in his kingdom, that's not just for us. That's for those we encounter. Our healing and wholeness, our ability to walk in the kingdom is meant to extend and to represent him where we go from the place of being with him. And he goes with us. He will send us and commission us. And though it might seem at times that he's left us, his promise for us in Matthew 28 is, I will be with you to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit will be in and through us for the work he's inviting us into to see with his eyes people in his kingdom or coming into his kingdom. May we draw near to this kingdom, praying our eyes be open to perceive more clearly his vision that we pray not our will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The team can come and prepare to respond, and I'll pray for us, for us all. Father, we are humbled before you, humbled and hopeful. That's what your word does, your word that is living and active for us. This ancient story that stands now as a parable even for us to enter into. We like the blind man. Oh, in this moment, I'm just thinking of the friends that came, that came with the blind man. He was so dependent upon the friends to bring him. They loved him so much, they brought him to Jesus. 
Thank you for those in our life, in our story, that you have placed friends and family that have loved us so much, they've brought us to you. I pray that we would be that kind of friend, loving people so much that we let them see you in and through us, in our actions and our words. Help us, Lord. Thank you for the community that you have built around us. And for those that are feeling alone and isolated today, remind them they are not. You are with them. You are with us. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, would you open our eyes to see as we draw into your presence again. Give us your vision. We receive that prayer from Paul. We want to receive it and we want to pray that more and more the eyes of our heart would be enlightened that we would know, know the hope to which we have been called the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints and your incomparably great power for all who believe. Lord, we receive. We come with expectation. We don't come with our agenda. Whatever would bring you glory, we yield ourselves to. Would you work in a way that brings you glory and us joy in your presence today? In your holy name, name we pray. Amen.